Second Corinthians 9, 6 through 11. <clears throat> Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning. My name is Mike Stroh. I'm one of the pastors here. It's my privilege to add my welcome to everyone here, especially if you're a guest this morning. We're so uh, glad that you've chosen to worship with us, and thank you, Susan, for reading our scripture. Thank you, music team, for guiding us in praise. And as we turn our hearts to God's word, let's open in a word of prayer. Father, we want to just take a moment and pause, and as we have just sang together, we want to focus on your goodness. We acknowledge, we proclaim that you're good, you are faithful, you are generous, you are giving, you are loving, you are gracious. We see this most clearly in giving your son, Jesus, for us. And so quiet our hearts and minds for these few moments as we come around your word and then as we come to the table, that in our hearts we would worship you sincerely. We would draw near to you with open hearts. We would receive what you have to give us this morning in your word and at the table. And we give you great thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there was once a farmer who one day with great joy in his heart went uh, to report to his wife and family that their best cow had given birth to twin calves, one red and one white. He said, you know, I've suddenly had the feeling that we must dedicate one of the calves to the Lord. We'll bring them up together and when the time comes, we'll, see, or we'll sell one and we'll give the proceeds to the Lord's work. The farmer's wife asked him which one the, the, he was going to give to the Lord's work. And the farmer said, there's no need to bother about that now. He said, we'll treat them both the same, we'll raise them up, and when the time comes, we'll, we'll do as I say. In a few months, the man entered his kitchen looking miserable. His wife asked him what was wrong, and he said, I have very bad news. The Lord's calf is dead. <laughs> she said... She said, you hadn't decided which one was to be the Lord's calf. Oh, yes, he said. I had always decided it was to be the white one, and it is the white one that has died. The Lord's calf is dead. That farmer illustrates an unfortunate side of human nature. We often have the best of intentions about 
being generous about giving. But at times, circumstances might change in our lives. Money gets tight. We can find a million reasons to hang on to what we have. We can hang on to our money, our time, our talents. And oftentimes in our lives, it's the, Lord, the Lord's calf that dies. But hey, what are you going to do, right? Circumstances. But believers are not exempt from this side of human nature, as you know if you know your own heart. Because we give, as Jesus said, we give our hearts to whatever our treasure is. But in Scripture, we find this radical approach to generosity that's really one of the biggest ways that God's people stand out and are meant to stand out from the world as his church. We continue our series on the church as we consider what Scripture tells us about being the church together. Last week, we looked at the centrality of worship in our discipleship together. This week, we look at one aspect of worship, and that is our our giving, our generosity. Of course, this includes our money, but it's not only that. We're called and equipped by Christ to be generous with everything we have, including our time, our talents, our energy. The Apostle Paul shows us in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 that Christ alone can enable us to not just give, but to excel in the grace of giving. So turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 if you have a Bible or a reading device, a phone, whatever in front of you. We're going to be jumping around a little bit in between 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, looking at some of these texts from a few different angles this morning as we consider what Paul has to teach us here. And we're dropping in as we look at chapter 9, we're dropping right into the middle of a conversation Paul's having with the Corinthian church about giving. Specifically, Paul was collecting funds from Roman churches for the Jerusalem church, which evidently was under great need. It seems uh, this church, the uh, Corinthian church, had been setting aside money for a time, but it seems they must have let this slide. They stopped doing it for whatever reason. Paul's encouraging them here to finish the job so their gift would be ready for him when Paul would arrive and he could take it back to the Jerusalem church. For whatever reason, we don't know all the, circ- all the reasons, but the Lord's calf had died in the minds of the Corinthians. They had given up somewhat on this generosity that they had started with. Look at verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So here Paul tells us a primary way that Jesus enables us to give is to give cheerfully. He starts with an image uh, from agriculture, right? You reap what you sow, really common principle uh, throughout history. The size of the harvest is always related to the amount of seed that is sown. If you only sow seed in half your field, you're never going to get a full field's worth of harvest, right? That's pretty simple. We all understand that. Paul applies that, that image to their, to their giving and to our giving. Paul doesn't want them to miss out on some of the blessing that comes from sowing bountifully, and we'll get to that blessing in just a minute. So he wants them to give, but notice in verse 7, he says, don't give because you're being compelled to do it, Do it willingly. Do it cheerfully. Back in verse 5 that we didn't look at, Paul says it should be a willing gift, not as an exaction. Do it. 
but be happy about it. I don't know about you, but if the Apostle Paul was coming, uh, we knew that the Apostle Paul was coming to Trinity Fellowship Church on some future Sunday to collect an offering, I'd feel pretty obligated to contribute. How about you? But Jesus constantly does, uh, when he talks about money, Paul does the same. He continually brings us back to the heart. It's less about how much we give, and it's more about the heart. God loves a cheerful giver. Paul quotes here from Proverbs 22 from the Greek translation of the Old Testament. This is the Greek rendering. God is a cheerful giver. This principle in Proverbs 22 comes from that fact that God is a cheerful giver. He loves to give. Jesus shows us that God is a loving Father that delights in giving good gifts to his children. And so Paul urges the church to give like God gives. And that is willingly, that is with joy. And when we talk about giving in the Christian life, if we're willing to talk about it at all, we often jump to the question of, well, how much should I give, right? What's the bottom line? That's a fine question, but oftentimes we tend to just want to know how much do I give and what are the details to avoid the issue of the heart. Because it's easier always to just check the box, isn't it? Than to actually examine our hearts, to keep our hearts right in this area of generosity. And with the questions that come up, often the issue of tithing comes up. And I'm not going to treat this in detail, that's a whole other sermon. But if you're unfamiliar, a tithe really means a tenth. God commanded Israel in the Old Testament to give tithes to support the ministry of the temple and really the nation as a whole. And a lot of churches today teach that Christians should give 10% of their income to the church. It's treated as a command that Christians are under the same obligation to give 10%. Now, there's certainly nothing wrong with tithing. It's clearly a biblical principle in that sense. But keep just a couple things in mind as we consider how this works uh, with the heart. First of all, the New Testament talks a whole lot about money and never one time commands Christians to tithe to the church. That's significant. The early church fathers talk a lot about giving in their worship services, but not about tithing. Uh, Irenaeus, for one, actually contrasts Old Testament tithing with the kind of giving that he says comes from those who have received liberty. He says it's distinct from tithing. He says this is done joyfully and freely. Now, even if we say, well, the Old Testament commands it, so that's enough for me, that's fine. But to be consistent, we should probably be giving upwards of 20, even 30%. Because the Old Testament tithe sort of stacked on top of itself, right? The, the Jews had two or three tithes at different times. So we might say that tithing isn't necessarily a command for the Christian. That doesn't mean it's wrong to tithe. As Paul says here in this passage, if you believe as God is leading you to give 10%, then give as you have decided in your heart. But if you're tithing just to check the box or even worse, to impress God or get God's favor, then it is wrong. Then it is wrong to tithe. But lest we think uh, that gets us off the hook from giving, as usual, the gospel calls us to something even greater, even more demanding, because again, it's an issue of the heart. So before we ask how much we should give, we should ask, where's my heart? Is my giving willing? Is it cheerful? Now, if you're giving cheerfully and tithing helps you give consistently, by all means, go for it. A tithe is a very helpful baseline for a lot of Christians. And for some, it's just a starting point to build on. But again, make your heart 
your focus when it comes to giving because giving is a spiritual discipline. It's an act of worship and it's grace. What's amazing about 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, two whole chapters that the Apostle Paul talks about giving, he talks about money, he doesn't even use the word money. He uses none of the normal Greek words for money in these two chapters. That may seem to us, maybe he's just sort of awkward about asking him for money. He's kind of tiptoeing around the issue a little bit. But I think it's something else. Instead of the words for money, he uses the words for generosity. He talks about grace. This is because Paul here is teaching them and us the bigger picture of giving. He's laying down a theology of giving that connects to really all of the Christian life. Flip back, if if you're in the passage, flip back to chapter 8 and look at verse 1. Paul says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So Paul's using the churches of Macedonia as an example of the grace of giving. What is the grace that God gave to the churches of Macedonia? They're giving. God gave them the grace to give, which then Paul says came out in a wealth of generosity. So giving itself is a gift of grace from God. And then that gift of grace flows through us to bless others. God blesses others through our giving. Look at verse 6 of chapter 8. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this, what? Act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in, your, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Really practical chapters on money. Paul's speaking to a very specific need. He's collecting money from churches And what's he talking about? Grace, grace, grace. Giving is an act of grace because it's a reflection of the grace of God that we have been given in Christ. In that sense, it's no wonder that Christian giving, giving that is truly Christian, must be cheerful. Because it's all about grace. It comes from the heart. Open hearts to receive the grace of God. Open hands to give cheerfully. And again, giving extends beyond just money. We can give our time, we can give our resources, we can give anything that we have and do so cheerfully because of all that we've been given in Christ. Which brings us to another point in Paul's theology of giving. He teaches us to give cheerfully and he teaches us that when we give, we're really giving from God's riches. Look back at chapter 9 and verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. God supplies seed to the sower. Don't miss the implications for our giving. God is the one who gives us our money. God is the one who gives us our resources, our energy, our time, everything that we have in the first place, right? It all comes from him. Now, if you're able, flip over to first, if you keep your finger in uh, 2 Corinthians, flip over to 1 Chronicles 29. If you can, I'd like you to see these words. 1 Chronicles 29. King David really understood this truth that it all comes from God. 
David here in this text has gathered offerings for the building of the temple, and he prays a prayer of dedication. His son Solomon would be the one to actually build the temple, but David has gathered all the materials, all the resources, all the offerings to do it, and he prays. Verse 11, David says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. Verse 14, But who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. I love David's heart here. Who are we? Who am I, God? Who are we, your people, to give you what's already yours? As the psalmist writes, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. As creator, it all belongs to God. So that should change how we view our money, right? That should change how we view our stuff. We're not really the owners of it, after all. We are stewards. He's given each of us a little bit of money, a little bit of time, and he's given us some talents, right? And he's given us all these things to steward for his glory. Now, human nature is bent towards sin, which makes us want to hoard everything, right? To hang on to what's ours. Even when our intentions start out good, there's greed and there's covetousness that can creep in. We turn into the seagulls from Finding Nemo. Do you remember them? Mine, 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 mine. But it's not ours. It's God's. Maybe as a young child, your parent... Or grandparent gave you some change to drop in the offering plate. Maybe you have done that with your kids. Right? I mean, it's your money, but the kid might go up really proudly and drop it in the, in the plate. That's sort of like our giving. Our money, everything that we have, is God's. And when we give it, it's kind of like God reaching in his pocket and saying, Here, here you go, Junior. Right? Drop some change in the offering plate. Because I want you to be part of the grace. I want you to be part of what I'm doing. He wants to let us in on the grace of generosity to be like him. So when we give, we're giving from his riches. It's all his, and yet he has given us everything in Christ. Now flip back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, this time, in verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. There's so much here just in this verse. But this is not a guilt trip that Paul's laying down on us. Look what Jesus did for you guys. Get your act together. Come on, this is the least you could do. That's not what he's saying. The riches that Paul is speaking of here are the grace that enables us to be generous like him. In Ephesians 1, Paul tells us that in Christ we have this eternal inheritance that we will never lose. When we give, we're never losing anything. When we give as a Christian, we're only gaining. We're gaining a blessing. And those that we are giving to help support are gaining a blessing from God through us. When we give as believers, we're giving from this inexhaustible bank account of God's riches. The provision of Christ in us that enables us to give freely generously, joyfully, 
like God does. And so the church of Christ is so unique in the world because with the provision of Jesus, we can give cheerfully. We can give from God's riches, and we're free to give sacrificially. Look again at chapter 8 and verse 1. We'll see these verses from the angle of sacrificial giving. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, for in a severe test of affliction... Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Look at verse 4. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Do you notice the, the strong wording here, this extreme language almost, this whole severe test of affliction, abundance of joy, extreme poverty, overflowing of wealth. Paul really wants to make this point here, doesn't he? They gave beyond their means. They begged Paul because they didn't want to miss out. They wanted to take part in the grace that God was doing. And so Paul lifts up these churches of Macedonia known for this grace of generosity, and it Is it because they were wealthy? Is it because they gave a little off the top? Paul says they were in extreme poverty. Yet they had an abundance of joy. They had wealth of generosity, overflowing. They gave beyond their means. They were begging Paul. I can see Paul sort of encouraging them. Hey, God bless you, churches. You have given so much. Why don't you take a minute to see to your own needs, okay? They say, no, Paul, please. We've put together, it's not much, but we've, We've been able to put together a little more for the churches in Jerusalem. Would you please take this to them? We know they need it. They were models of sacrificial giving when they themselves were in extreme poverty. So if they were in poverty, it probably wasn't very much money, was it, that they gave? But it was a sacrifice to them, and so Paul says it was a wealth of generosity. See, because God doesn't need our money. I don't know if we knew that. God doesn't need our money. Instead, he wants us to grow in this grace. He wants to invite us into what he's doing. Like the poor widow in Luke chapter 21. Do you remember her? All the rich people were dropping in all the big money into the offering. And she drops in two coins. And what does Jesus say? This poor widow has put in more than all of them. Why? Because she gave sacrificially. God doesn't need our money. He wants our hearts. He can do a lot with our hearts. And so that's what he wants. And so this Macedonian church, they knew that. They were begging Paul. They didn't want to miss out on the blessing. What blessing? We tend to get a little confused here. We have uh, the impact of prosperity preachers and televangelists telling us that the blessing here when we give is more money. Right? God wants to double your money, so send me your check. Paul doesn't say anything like that, does he? Look ahead again at chapter 9 and verse 8. What's the blessing? And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. That's the blessing. It's abounding in good works. It's growing in grace. Verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase what? The harvest of your righteousness. 
When we give, God can certainly bless us financially, and he often does. He can do that if he chooses to. But the promise here, the core of the blessing here that we're after, that the Macedonian church did not want to miss out on, is the growth and righteousness, is the discipleship, it's the sharing in the grace. See, the Holy Spirit grows us more and more to be like Jesus in the life of faith. And giving is one way that we sort of put ourselves in the path of the Holy Spirit's work. Like praying, like reading our Bible, like taking part in community. Giving is a way to invite the Spirit of God to grow us more into the grace of Jesus. Again, that's why the Macedonians were begging Paul. They didn't want to miss out. Why would we want to miss out in what God is doing? The Spirit's moving over here. That's where we should want to be. The true treasure of this church was Jesus. So their hearts were his. Their hearts were with him. They kept receiving his grace, so they had plenty to give. So a spirit of generosity is one of the ways we're called to be the church together. This is one of the defining things that really sets the church apart in the world. And our church, Trinity Fellowship Church, is so blessed with hearts of generosity. Our people have given sacrificially over the years to meet the needs of, of this body, the needs of our community, helping missionaries around the world. So it feels like I'm preaching to the choir on this topic, and that's a joy, by the way, to do that. And the generosity of this body, as we were reminded this morning, was so evident last weekend when so many came to serve sacrificially to give their energy, their time. So let's keep excelling in this grace as a church. And individually, let's keep coming back to our own hearts. Ask God to show you where your heart is in the area of generosity. Are you a cheerful giver? Are you clinging a little too tightly to your resources, to your stuff, to your time? Are you giving sacrificially? And what does that mean practically? Well, C.S. Lewis is often quoted here, and that's because he's right on. He says, the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. He says, there ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditure excludes them. So maybe there's something this week that you or your family can decide on together, prayerfully, that instead of doing, instead of spending that money, you can give it. Instead of doing a certain activity together, maybe you would take that time and you would offer that time to serve your neighbors. For some of us, we might pray about giving more. We might search our hearts. We might realize that sacrificial giving is giving a little more than we currently are giving. And for others, we might should try giving in a different way. Especially, I don't know if you found, if you give online, our family gives online, and I tend to not think about it too much, especially on a Sunday morning, because it's sort of automatic, right? So maybe there's a point in the Sunday worship service where you would intentionally set your mind on the giving. That God would use your gift for his glory, that God would keep growing you in that grace to intentionally set your mind and your heart there. You might try giving anonymously. But again, the most important thing is the heart, so let's search our hearts. Now, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, your 
your application from this text is to receive the gift of life in Christ alone. He paid it all. You just have to receive his grace to step into this relationship with Jesus. And as we walk with him in the Christian life, we find a freedom that the world doesn't know to be truly generous. Because we're members of his kingdom, we have this eternal inheritance in heaven that can never be taken away, can't be touched by inflation or recessions. This is security. Provision of Christ in us that frees us to give and to give and to give. So let's search our hearts. Where have we been like the farmer who decided it was the Lord's calf that had died? Where can we hold a little bit more loosely and freely to what is already his? Where is God calling us to grow in the grace of generosity? Let's pray together. Our Father, we end where we started by acknowledging your goodness to praise you for being a gracious and a generous God. You have, Father, you have given us everything, even your own Son. So grow us together in this grace of generosity. We thank you for the ways that you have over the years are blessing this local body with tremendous hearts of generosity. As Paul said, there's this wealth overflowing of generosity. Thank you for doing that work here. And I pray that you would help us to keep excelling and to keep growing to be good stewards of all we have as individuals, as families, as the church in this community. For the glory of Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. Let us stand together.